would like you to turn in your Bibles to the book of John, John's Gospel, chapter 10. We're continuing our series on Deeper with God, and our theme this morning is Abundant Life. Abundant Life. So, really, from the very beginning, we need to say, what's the connection with the deeper life and abundant life? It's very simple. The deeper you go with God, the more of His fullness you experience and receive in your life. And it's not a works-based experience. In other words, if you manage to keep all your quiet times regularly this week, God will say, you know what? I've seen you've been a good boy. Here's a lollipop for you. It's not like that. Let me just express this before we come to read the Scripture. If this is the kingdom of God, and that's life in God, and the more we surrender to God and His kingdom, the deeper into the kingdom we go. And because we are deeper into the kingdom, then the kingdom is deeper in us. It's, it's, just, it's just that simple. The more we press into fellowship with Jesus, the more of us is available into which He can pour His abundant blessings. So let's read John 10 and verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Many years ago, in, in um, the early days of Pentecostal experience in my life, okay, and that's still quite early because it goes back some time, the experience I'm about to tell you about is probably before some of you were born and definitely before some of you were born again. But it wasn't the very, very early days of the Pentecostal movement. We're coming up to our 100th anniversary of that. So I am not yet 100 years of age, but I claim it now. Katika Gina la Yesu. Amen. So, we're having this open-air meeting. And one of the dear stalwart what, uh, elderly Pentecostal sisters, she wasn't just, she was a sister. I mean, you, you don't even know that. Not a sister in hospital, not even a sister like you might have, like a brother. This is a sister. They were of a type. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The old Pentecostal sisters. Okay, if you're waving your hand, you're aging yourself right now. But she had her hat, hair in a bun, and in a hat, open air, and so we're singing and praising and worshiping God. So she stands forward in this open air meeting, and she holds her big Bible. It was the big, biggest Thompson chain reference Bible you can imagine. And she stood forward. And I'll just try and imitate her. She's a very, very influential part of my life. So I'm not mocking her. She's in heaven now. And if she's hearing, she's probably smiling. Okay. Step forward and say, and she said, Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and life more abundantly. Now, when she got into the second mention of the word life, the rest of us thought, well, praise God, the Spirit has moved on Sister Kate, and now for the next five or ten minutes, she's going to preach, and we can just relax until, you know, something else needs to happen. But no sooner had she finished quoting the Scripture that she stepped back, said nothing. And somebody else had to take the microphone and say, what our sister meant about abundant life and begin to preach exactly what abundant life is. How many know sometimes it is easier to quote a scripture than to explain it? And sometimes it's easier to explain a scripture than to experience it. But God does not just want to know what His Word says and understand what it means, 
but he wants us to enter into the experience of it. Now, this teaching on abundant life, the promise that Jesus will give us rich, abundant life, and we can experience in full this abundant life, is the Scriptures very, very familiar. But what does it mean? Now, if I was to give you a blank sheet of paper now and just say, write down what the good life means for you. Let's start straight away. What is the good life? Some might immediately say, a wife and two kids, one boy and one girl, of course, a nice home and a nice car in the driveway. Others might say, well, okay, know what it is for me? The good life would be to have a really good job. A really good job, a job that I love, a job that satisfies me, a job that pays me very well and doesn't demand too much from me. Others say, look, for me, the good life would be if I get recognition, if I get success. I want to be successful. I want to, through that, find respect and recognition. Others say, yeah, you guys talking too much about work. For me, it's fun. It's social life. If I have a really active, good social life, plenty of friends, plenty of family, plenty of leisure, uh, that I can pursue my interests, good food, you know, occasionally, one of those marvelous restaurants where you count the Michelin stars two by two, and there you are sitting in this five-star Michelin restaurant, and you look around at all the food and all the company, you say, my, we're living it up, that's the good life. Others say, I just settle for two trips to Alicante each year, get a little bit of sun, and come home and make everybody else jealous. I don't know. Sometimes people think a little more deeply than that, not that those things aren't great, but they say, do you know, for me, it's not about holidays in some foreign country. It's not about success. It's, it's not about whether my, my life looks like it's prospering to other people. The deeper things for me are love. Am I really loved? I, I, want, I want to really be loved. I want to know that I'm secure, that I'm loved, that I'm respected, that I'm appreciated, that I'm valued. Just give me those things and I'll tell you I'm happy and satisfied. Well, all that stuff we can think about and um, I'm not knocking any of it, but it's so far removed from what Jesus said when he said, I've come to give you life. When you look a little closely, you say, Jesus, how can I gain this abundant life that you have? And Jesus said, well, if you hold on to your own life and try to save your own life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life, then you're going to have my life. And somehow, the losing our life closes our ear to the rest of the verse. Lose my life? I'm going to lose my life. You want me to come and die? Yes. How? Crucifixion. What? And you call that good news? Oh, but you see, Jesus says, you forget the other side of crucifixion is resurrection life. And Jesus himself has made available his life. But there's only one way to get it, and that is to die to self. You mean die to all my dreams and hopes and aspirations about the good life? Well, pretty much. It means that you die to the person you have constructed the person you have made yourself to be based on your own wisdom. All the things that you think will make life work for you. 
following your ideas, following your wisdom and not God's wisdom. You die to that and then you become the person who you really are in Christ and who had in mind when he said, let there be a Colin die. And there was a Colin die. Hallelujah. We were singing earlier in that song, Children of the King. And um, in a way, uh, Fabio, who wrote this in the tune, he's been rather tricky because the, the, the tune is very, very light and easy to sing. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. So we put our trust in him. Okay. I wasn't trying to sing. I was just getting you to remember the tune. <laughs> All right. So that's so true. But actually, we should sing those words with great solemnity and almost like a shock, horror. What? God's ways, they're not my ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. So we better put our trust in Him pretty, pretty quickly. So when he says, the only way to experience the life of Christ is to lose yours and follow Him, it is counterintuitive to the human natural way of thinking things. And this is the big stumbling block for many people, both as believers and unbelievers. I'm reminded of a story, and it's a preacher's story, so you'll understand as soon as I tell it that it's a real preacher's story, about a, a leading believer in a church who was very f uh, successful and prosperous, and uh, he loved God, he believed God, and everything was working wonderfully. But one of his best friends was an atheist. And no matter what he did, he couldn't convince this atheist to put his trust in Jesus. So he thought, I'll get him closer to this. Let's, let's invite him out to my farm. And he led a farm where he bred thoroughbred um, animals and, and, and horses. And he was, in fact, a great equestrian. And so I'll get him. I know what I'll do. So he invited his atheist friend for the weekend on his farm. And he said, you know what, let's go riding. And the atheist said, yeah, that's great. I'd love to do that. So the man said, you better understand one thing. I haven't trained my horses in the ordinary way. I mean, normally, when you start, you know, instead of just turning on the key in the ignition, you just say, walk on, and the horse walks on. And if you want the horse to stop, you say, whoa, and the horse stops. He said, we don't do that here. When we want our horses to walk on, we say, hallelujah, and the horse walks. Want the horse to stop, we say, amen, and the horse stops. So the atheist said, this sounds a bit weird, but I'll give it a go. Gets on the horse, says, hallelujah, the horse goes on. And he enjoys this. So he starts to trot and canter and gallop. And he's going so fast, he doesn't realize he's heading straight to the edge of the field over which there's a cliff. And so he says, I better remember how to stop this horse. But he couldn't remember the word in his panic, how to stop this horse. But finally, he remembered, amen, and the horse stopped just at the edge of the cliff. And he thought, oh. What a relief. What a relief. Hallelujah, he said. <laughs> well, that's not the end of the story. Because now the scene passes the man galloping across the field, wondering what hallelujah and which amen he has to say when. Now he's fallen over the cliff, managed to hold on to a branch of a tree that is growing out of the cliff, and his hands are slipping, and he just knows that any moment he's going to slip to his death, so he thinks, well, now is the time to discover if there really is a God. He's holding on, and so in desperation, he says, is there anybody up there? There's no reply. He said, I thought not. Man, what am I going to do? Give it another go. Is there anybody up there? And the voice replies, 
very deep and strong. Let go of the branch. Man looks, let go of the branch, and then thinks, is there anybody else up there? Now, I tell you, people of God, even Bible-believing believers sometimes feel like that man hanging on to something, and, and, and God says, let go. And we say, no, this, your ways are not our ways. <laughs> let me remind you that your ways are higher than my ways. I want to stay higher right now. But trusting in God means we come to the point where we know that no matter what we feel instinctively, what our natural reasoning would reason out, that when God says it, not only is it right and true, but it is good for us. Amen. So Jesus says, I am the life. And if you want the life, you have the life that I have. It's, it's connected to me. So come on. Come closer to me. Discover more about me. Learn more from me. And you will experience that life. Everything that I am and everything that I have is yours. Now, John 14 verse 6 makes this very, very clear. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't just say, look, I know the way to life. He said, I am the life. He didn't just say, I will give you life. He says, I am the life. And that's what we have to realize, which that distinguishes the Christian faith from anything else. Actually, when you look at it like this, you can really say that Christianity is not really a religion. It's a person. It's Jesus so the life is found in him. When he says, I have, I will give, I've come that you might, might have life, he was saying, I'm going to give you my life, eternal life, eternal life. When we hear that word eternal life, the first thing we think of is, yeah, thank God, Jesus is promising us that when we die, we're going to go to heaven. Thank you, Lord. That's what he says, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And we kind of like that invitation. We say that is the good news. That if we believe in Jesus Christ, we will be moved away from that perishing stuff, from that judgment stuff, from the consequences of our sins, we've been rescued. And now in place of perishing and death, we have restoration and life. And what that means is, thank God, I've got my ticket to heaven. So if we want to use that illustration, you've got to recognize it's not just a ticket to heaven. It's a ticket. It's a passport. It's Z, it, it is as a visa. It is spending money. You're, the flight is booked. The plane is revving up. Oh, not, it's not quite ready yet, but you know, well, let's not get there too quickly. But the moment it is time to go, we go. Amen. It'll be just like walking with Jesus day by day. And one day Jesus says, now we're going home. No, not your home, my home. And that, that'll be you. Gone, and people will be holding a funeral and saying, and you'll be happy in heaven. And this, I'm making it sound a bit simplistic, but this is fact. 
Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I am going to my Father in order to prepare a place for you. And when I come again, I will receive you to, my, to me, that where I am, you may also be. The hope of heaven, when we die, is at the heart of the redemption that Jesus Christ has given to us. That's the first thing we think about. But you know, the problem with this ticket to heaven mentality is it doesn't answer the question, what happens in the meantime? In the meantime, what do we do? Is it business as usual? We can say, yeah, we're going to go to heaven, be with Jesus forever. But the Bible shows us that eternal life begins now. Amen. Instead of just discussing, is there life after death? You need to say, is there life before death? And what kind of life is he going to give to us? But the assurance of this is so clear. Take a look at John 5 and verse 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. Present tense. Has everlasting life. And shall not, future tense, shall not come into judgment, but now past tense. Has passed from from death to life. So salvation is both past, present, and future. Our past has been removed. Our present life is filled with abundance, and our future life is assured. We will never stand before the judgment of God concerning our sins. Jesus carried it all at Calvary. So we can see now that eternal life is not just something future. In fact, you can't even really define it like that because if eternal life is eternal, then it's for all the time. There may be just different levels to which we experience it, and we know in heaven we're going to experience it with no, no holes barred, no restrictions whatsoever. In fact, the eternal life that is going to manifest will be so manifested that nothing that is not life will be there. Nothing at all. No pain, no suffering, no frustration, no futility or rejection. Only the fullest manifestation of satisfying life. Abundant joy and deep, deep eternal peace. Pleasure, bliss forever, total fulfillment. Now, we know that that picture of heaven, we're going to have to wait for that. Amen? We're going to have to wait for that. That's our future hope. And so really, most of God's promises that we love, they're the ones that we're going to see in the future. And you see, the Bible says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. We can begin to enjoy some of that stuff now, but it really properly belongs for the future. We have a future and a hope. God has plans to bless us and not to hurt us. In heaven, it's going to be fantastic. But here on this earth, it's also fantastic, but you know there's some issues down here because sin is still working. It's working in our society. It's working in our world. It's even working in the creation. 
because the creation itself has been subjected to frustration and things don't always work out so well. Up in Scotland, a man had half the house washed away overnight. All right? What did, what did God got against him? Nothing. This is the fact of our world that isn't working so well. People say that's something to do with global warming. I don't know, but there's always been floods and disasters since sin entered the world. And while we live in this fallen world, we are still going to have to face some stuff. Some tragedies hit, and God isn't always there to make sure that nothing in terms of tragedy will ever touch the life of a believer. But what he is promising is that he's always there, that should these things come somehow into your life, we can know two things. God is in control of it. And number two, he is certainly going to use it to work, to work within you an eternal weight of glory that shall not be worth comparing with the present suffering that we experience from time to time. So sin still have working out there in the world. It's easier to grow weeds than flowers. If you want to grow weeds, do nothing. The weeds will come by themselves. If you want flowers, you've got to work hard at it. Is that not the truth? But sin doesn't just operate out there. It's also working in here. First of all, our mortal bodies. Our body is not saved. When you look at your body and say, there's something wrong with it, remember, it's not saved. But your body is going to be redeemed. It's going to be redeemed. This mortal body is going to be changed and we're going to have bodies that are capable of expressing and experiencing the full life of God and that's going to be glorious. In fact, when I see you in heaven, you're going to look so amazing that I'll probably be embarrassed until they, till you remind me, well, you look just as good. It's about what's happening in this body. There's certain things that take place in the human body that which should be north begins to go south at a certain time of life. If you haven't seen that or heard about that, the revelation will come to you soon enough. <laughs> you look into the mirror and you say, who's that? And you recognize your voice. You said, that sounds like me, but it doesn't look like me. Because you think you're still 18. And you're not. You're 81. All right. <laughs> Amen. Then you've got how sin works in your heart and in your desires. The Bible calls this flesh, the fleshly desires. Now, we're not yet delivered from the presence of sin. The power of sin is broken, the penalty of sin is removed, but the presence of sin still seeks to work inside of us. Now, we can have victory, and Jesus has delivered us, but that's a process. And you know, one of the most wonderful things about heaven will be when we say, God, what's different? I'm free. There's, no, there's not even the temptation to have a negative thought. Those desires that I had to fight against every single day aren't when I was on planet earth, now I'm in planet heaven, okay, is different. And that is the liber liberation of the sons of God. And all these things are wonderful things to think about and motivate us towards persevering and welcoming more and more of God's purpose. But we are called to live for God now, in our present situation. And so the big question is, how can I enjoy God's abundant life now? At this time, when I'm still struggling against the ravages and destructive forces of sin, working both within me and working against me from without, and, 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 and the, this thirst that I have, this thirst for satisfaction, which is so deep within me, 
How, God, can I learn to drink of the fountain of living waters? How can I really learn to go deeper and deeper with you? Deep in the fountain of living waters. It says in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 2 and verse 13, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. And that is, in Jeremiah's estimation, he was one of the keenest observers of human nature in the whole history of the Bible and one of the, the best analysts of what had gone wrong. What he observed was that the human heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And then he says, this is the biggest deceit of all, that we would turn away from God, who is the fountain of living waters, the only one who can satisfy the deepest longings of our heart and spirit, the only one that can satisfy that deep thirst within us. We've turned away from him because we've decided that he can't do it anymore, but the idols can. We're going to dig for ourselves, our own inventions, our own ideas, create our own reality, create our own religion, create our own approach to living on this planet. And that never, never, never works. And as long as we believe that satisfaction is found in things other than God and what He will freely provide for us, but satisfaction is found in going our own way, making our own choices, and deciding that it's this, that, or the other that I want. Because if I gain these things, they will satisfy me. What a big deception. Of all the lies, this is the biggest. That things other than God, which may seem pleasurable, which may seem to give us some stuff, actually truly satisfies. When God alone satisfies. To, to, to describe this a little bit, I, I can remember several occasions when I've been on the dusty roads of Africa up country. Now, how many know when you're out there, there's no refrigeration, there's no shops that will serve you a nice cool glass of sparkling water with ice and lemon. You've got to just get what you get out there. And, um, you know, I don't know what your favorite way of quenching your thirst is, Maybe it is sparkling water, and we've got different kinds of sparkling waters, haven't we? We've got uh, Pellegrino. Anybody know that? But sparkling Pellegrino. What else do we have? We have Dom Perignon, did you say? <laughs> oh, Perrier. I was just going to say, I've heard about Monsieur Dom Perignon, and it doesn't really look like sparkling water to me. Okay, all right. Just, just playing with you. All right. Sparkling water. Perrier water. And uh, ice and lemon. Wonderful. But you know, up there on the dusty roads of the Kenyan upcountry, dry places, you know what? There's no such thing as that stuff. If you are very, if it's a good day, they will give you a warm bottle of Coca-Cola. A bottle of warm Coca-Cola. Now, excuse me. Mr. Coca-Cola representative, who may be under the sound of my voice, please don't sue me. It is only a sermon illustration, and the story is good. We love Coca-Cola, amen. All right, all right, just in case, you never know. So, two things about this, this drink, or any other soda, Fanta, or anything else. The, the two things. Number one, it's warm. And you know, a warm drink like that doesn't kind of quench your thirst when you're hot and dry, okay? Secondly, it's sweet. 
And so if you are thirsty and you're hot and you've got some warm Coca-Cola and you're drinking it and it's sweet, you kind of think for about three seconds, oh, that's good, I feel my thirst is quenched. Oh, no, I'm not, have another one. Because it doesn't quench your thirst. It doesn't quench your thirst under those circumstances. And that's exactly how we look at our lives. We kind of believe that what we're going to go for is going to quench our thirst. But God has his own sparkling water of his spirit. And the wonderful thing about this is you can't stop drinking it, but for another reason. The Coca-Cola you'll drink under those circumstances and one another one because your thirst is not quenched. But this one, the water of life, the water of the Holy Spirit, you drink it and you're satisfied. But because you're satisfied, you drink some more. So you go from drinking satisfaction to drinking greater satisfaction to greater, greater and greater levels of God's wonderful satisfaction. This is the abundant life we're talking about. And because I talk about that water and Coca-Cola, I think I need to have a little drink right now. Who'd like one of these? You'll have to wait. All right. So we're talking about this abundant life. And Jesus provides that which satisfies the thirst. Sometimes we can see him described as the fountain of living water. We can see him as, as the bread of life or the one who drinks of him and is never thirsty again. And that's eternal life. It's a quality life. It's an abundant life. And God wants us to experience it now. Because right now we're thirsty. Amen? We're thirsty. So I ask you this challenging question, but a question asked, you know, in all good faith and goodwill today. Are you really enjoying and living the abundant life of Christ? I ask you that question, I want you to think about it for a bit. Because, you know, you think you would never need to ask anybody that who knows Jesus. But over the years in my ministry, I've discovered that many, many, many people, as much as they want to and long to and believe that they could and should, still never really reach those deep levels of spiritual satisfaction and this wonderful experience of growing and more and more in the experience of the rich, abundant life of God so rich and so abundant that it says, you know, you can keep your houses, you can keep your cars, you can keep all the other things that you think are making you happy. I have found the secret, and his name is Jesus. Which means that whatever circumstances, I don't say it lightly, whatever circumstances, we can still know his presence, his life, his love, his joy, his peace, because only Jesus ministers to the deepest part of our lives. In fact, this uh, theme that I'm on is very important when we're engaged in Christian counseling. And it comes up again and again in my counseling training, and I want to read you just a short section from one of the manuals in which I address this topic of, of actually owning up to the fact that it seems not many believers actually know very much at all about the abundant life that Jesus promised. So I, I write, the life that Jesus offers begins with forgiveness of sins. 
and leads to the satisfaction available only in Him. But why do so few believers seem to be enjoying the abundant life Jesus spoke of? For many, this rich and deeply fulfilling knowledge of God seems so completely out of reach. Rather than living in God's overwhelming peace or His outrageous joy, many believers find themselves deeply dissatisfied with their spiritual experience. They struggle with negative emotions, whether it's anger, fear, anxiety, depression, or guilt, or just a vague feeling of emptiness. They are defensive in their relationships, conformist in their behavior, and mechanical in their service to the master. And coming to points like that, some people begin to blame themselves, thinking something wrong with me. Something wrong with me. I can never have this. I see the brother next to me, they're smiling, so smiling they could do a television advert for Colgate. <laughs> but you don't know that they're looking, thinking of you, thinking, you know, this. I'm having to fake a smile. This person doesn't even need to perform. They must be so close to Jesus. And we're all comparing ourselves and judging ourselves because we think the problem is that there's something matter with me. So others try to fix it by turning to the quick fix formulas of popular preaching who make promises for spiritual success based on probably 21st century hedonism, nothing to do with the word of God. Tell them what they want to hear. Make great promises, doesn't matter. Make great promises, bigger promises, make bigger offerings so I can drive my Rolls Royce. Ah, it sounds I'm a bit cynical, but you know what I'm talking about. Others settle for the meaningless cycle of Christian activity demanded by performance-based church life. They abandon all hope of deep intimacy with God or others. And others take refuge in Sunday Christianity, which asks nothing more than to discharge our Christian duties by attending church every Sunday or at least nearly every Sunday with the rest of the week clear to pursue what we really believe life is all about. Now, it's okay sometimes just to take the lid off things because we've probably all, all been there. Have you been there? I've been there. So it's impossible. You stand up here every Sunday and say what you say. I say what I say for 30 or 40 years, how long I've been saying it, because I believe it and I lay hold of God. But that doesn't mean to say I don't have struggles. I've never had struggles. Of course not. Because we suffer from the same deception. The deception of the flesh that says, do you know what? Reading your Bible and praying and being a good boy and being a good girl is not as, half as much fun as getting out there and being a little bad from time to time. Amen? But that's a lie. That's a lie. I think at the end of the day, this has to do with what we really value. And we've got to check the price tag. Sometimes we think the things that we really value and, and, and value highly that cost a lot of money actually are worthless in the things of the kingdom. And other things that we don't value very much, put a low price tag on, are actually very, very precious. Just like the man who found the pearl of greatest price hidden in a field and he said, I'm going to buy that field, get that treasure, and I'm going to buy that pearl even if it costs me all that I have. Because he had the values of the kingdom. 
many of us in this abundant life scenario are still expecting the abundant life of Christ while living according to the principles of this world. Now, that in terms of an equation, it doesn't add up. It doesn't match. If we want what the kingdom gives, we must live by the kingdom principles. If we want what Jesus has, we must be prepared to forsake everything, die daily and follow him. Not because it's like this uh, kind of miserable form of Christianity. All right, uh, instead of Holy Communion this morning, we're going to give out nails. Well, what's those nails for? We want you to go home and nail yourself to the nearest bit of furniture and say, God, I have died to my sin. You know, when we know that saying, rejecting the stuff that holds us back so that we can go further and deeper with Christ, when that's going to bring to us the intrinsic reward. I'm not saying this is like some kind of law. God says, all right, angels, we will just give the record of all the people attending Kensington Temple. How many of them prayed and sought my face and prayed like dutiful believers every morning this week? Oh, sister, what? I'm not going to mention names because who knows? I might just move in a word of knowledge and embarrass you all. Okay, so that person did. Okay, angel, three stars for that person today. Three little blessings for you. That lady, no, she never did it. Okay. Give her a bit of tribulation this week. That'll sort her out. That's not how God works. That's not how God works. In the kingdom, when we are doing stuff which we know God wants us to do, do you know what it does? It gives us a desire to do more. Try it. Try it. I could name anything now. Giving, praying, reading your Bible, being nice to people. That's a novel thought. Showing the love of Jesus. Amen? When you start doing it in the kingdom of God, it suddenly, it's, this is amazing. There's so much blessing in this. I want to do some more. So the more you give, the more you want to give. The more you read and find out about God, the more you want to know. So in other words, Jesus is saying, taste and see that the Lord is good. And you take your first taste. You say, I don't understand that very much but it's kind of quite nice. You take some more, and it becomes more and more enjoyable, and you suddenly, before you realize it, you are experiencing life. Oh, is this, is, this is it. This is abundant life. Amen. You can have just as much fun and enjoyment eating a bacon sandwich than you can have on some of those fancy dinners in those Michelin stars. But if you like Michelin stars, you can go. and Just invite me and Amanda as well. We'll come along and enjoy it. So these values, Jesus always hits at the values of the world that prevent us from entering the deeper life with him and experiencing abundant life. Let me give you a couple of examples. Luke 12, 15, Jesus said to them, Luke 12, 15, take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Don't forget it. Amen. We've got somebody famous coming uh, very soon in our Ben and Friends evening. And I've already seen his testimony. You've got the leaflet, have you? Got the leaflet. Or we'll, if you haven't, we'll make sure you get it before you go. He's, he's explaining already. Uh, you can see in the leaflet. Let me just read it out because it, not, uh, it illustrates the point here. Uh, this um, this uh, is, a, is a, p a former premiership footballer, Linvoy Primus, from 
Portsmouth FC. He tells the story of the struggles and hardship in his life, and he overcame depression through faith in Jesus Christ. So you wouldn't think a premier footballer with all that money and all that fame, all that stardom, all that accolade, all that success would be depressed. But you see, it's not about money or possessions or success. It really is about what Jesus alone can give you. Amen. In that same context, in Luke 12, describing a man who was foolish. He amassed wealth and he thought, I've got enough money. I build bigger barns. I've got so much grain that that's it. I can retire now and live the abundant life. And God said, the wrong tonight is your time to go. Did all that. And Jesus says, verse 21, Luke 12, so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich before God or rich toward God. And this is it. You become rich toward God. He's going to be rich toward you. Amen? In other words, when you invest your heart, your life, your effort, your energy, your faith, your time, your money even, in the things of the kingdom, then out of that investment comes the reward of walking in His presence. So how does this actually happen? How do we experience it? I want to say three things which are so straightforward and so basic that you probably would have learned them in Sunday school at the age of four. Not a problem. Because sometimes it's the simplest things that are so profound. Number one, how do you experience the abundant life? Get to know Jesus. Well, I know him. Yeah, but <laughs> come on. Get to know Jesus. How well do you know him? Do you just know about him? Do you know that he's your savior? What about knowing he's also your healer? What about also knowing he's your most loving and intimate friend? What about knowing him as the all-wise one that can, that can show you what to do whenever you are struggling with understanding the way forward? What about knowing that he is the one who will be there when everybody else forsakes you? Knowing that he's the one who accepts you and loves you just as you are and will never criticize you, but will always loving you, lovingly draw you into deeper experiences with him. Come on, people of God. Jesus is the Son of God, and there is far much more to know about him and to do with him than you've ever, ever imagined. He wants to draw you into his character, his personalities, his ways, his thoughts, and have a vision for you, for your life, and his purposes for you. Get to know Jesus. Number two, learn to trust him. I'm not apologizing for the simplicity of this. Because there's just, it's just the truth. It's just the truth. Because it's simple doesn't make it profound. And because it's simple doesn't make it easy. Trusting Jesus. He knows me. And he knows the plan for my life. His Ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. So we put our trust in him. Job had to learn this. Job 23 verse 10. Job 23 verse 10. Job was, had gone, figuratively speaking, to hell and back again. He didn't think he suffered everything short of actual hell. And he said, you know, God knows the way that I take. He knows this. He knows this way, the way that I'm on. He knows this. When God says he knows, it doesn't just mean that he knows about it, but that in some way he is there. 
supervising, working, not allowing you to be tempted above what you are able and knowing that he will not allow anything to come in your life other than that it will be for your good and for his glory. He knows the way I take. And then he goes on to say, when he has tested me, in other words, when it is over, and believe me, it ain't over till it's over. Have you been through times like your life like this? That it can't get any worse and it does. This can't last any longer and it does. Until you say, oh God, what are you doing up there? And he smiles and he says, I know exactly what I'm doing. Trust me. And you're like a man on the rope saying, is there somebody else up there? Somebody's going to tell me what I want to hear. That's why so many people who don't understand this give up in their Christian life. They say, God, you haven't treated me like I told you to treat me. You haven't been the genie in my bottle. I've rubbed and rubbed and rubbed, and you haven't come out and say, oh, master, my wish is your command. Christianity is the other way around. It is we who come out and say, God, what can I do for you today? God is not the one who is committed to taking every problem out of your life so that you can be his favored, spoiled brats of the kingdom. No, God says they need something to happen to develop something in you. And when people don't understand that, they'll say, well, you know, I'm sick of all this stuff. I'm going to give up Christianity. I'm going to become something else, a Buddhist, a Muslim, or a non-believer. Because they have never understood what abundant life really is that it is worth more than any of this stuff put together. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Let me tell you, if you don't already know it, God doesn't always give you whatever you want whenever you want it. Have you discovered that? Amen. Then we can move on. Finally, first of all, knowing Jesus, trusting Jesus, finally loving Jesus. Loving Jesus. John 14, verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him. How? We will come to him and make our home with him. This doesn't mean that first you must love God before God loves you. John later writes, we love him because he first loved us. This is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent Jesus. So he's not contradicting himself. He's talking about something else. He's talking about how you can have fellowship with God. It's talking how you can be a friend with God. He's telling you how you can enjoy the abundant life of God. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my word. And as you keep in my word, walk in my way, you will discover aspects of God's love that you would never have discovered if you hadn't chosen to go deeper with me and obey me no matter what you feel in your life. So really what I'm saying, more abundant life, is that what you want? Then his name is Jesus. Help yourself. Take more from, of him. Draw closer to him. And as you go deeper with God, the greater will be your enjoyment and experience of that rich, satisfying, abundant life that can be more important to us than many of other former definitions of what the good life 
was all about. Let's pray right now. Let's pray right now. Before I pray just generally, I want to pray personally. Maybe the people that never understood that you by receiving Jesus and trusting in Jesus, you do get your ticket to heaven. So you can say, I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven when I die because he's given me the gift of eternal life. I want to pray for you first of all. Then I'm going to pray generally for all of us to go deeper. So every head bowed, every eye closed. If today you're under the sound of my voice here in the main auditorium, across the road there in the coronet or downstairs in the overflow area, behind me, wherever you are, on the internet, wherever you are, if you want Christ to be in your life that you can receive the free gift of eternal life, I want you to lift your hand and I will pray for you right now. It's not my prayers that get you saved, but I will pray with you and for you that you might call upon him right where you are. Okay, every head bowed, every eye closed, please. Just nobody moving around. I want you to lift your hand and say, Colin, pray for me as we close this service. I want life. I want Jesus in my life. Quickly, thank you to my left. Thank you for my left. God bless you. Can we have consolidators over there? Please move very quickly so we don't hold up the service right now. Anybody else? Thank you. God bless you here. Somebody's raising their hand at the front. Understand? Up the back there. Welcome. God bless you. Anybody else? Just keep lifting your hands. We're asking people to stand with you because we want to give you a free gift straight after this to help you. Over the road there in the coronet, uh, uh, Dudley, help the people there all over this place. We thank you, Lord. On the internet as well, we thank you for people who are responding all over this place in the different venues. Thank you, God bless you. In every particular place, people are moving and people are moving towards God. Thank you. God bless you. More hands are lifted. I'm not so sure that consolidators are, are noticing that, but the Holy Spirit is noticing it. Now, Father, I pray for those who lifted their hands and those whose hearts have responded. God, would you come in your fullness? Will you come through for these people? Will you show them that this is real, that Christ is alive, and there is life in him, joy and peace and forgiveness of sins because of the cross in which he became the sin bearer for the sins of the world and was raised again from the dead. And because you are alive, you have abundant life for us all. And we want to enter deeper into you. Put aside some of the petty questions and obstacles of our own making and say, God, nothing is worth it by comparison to you. Forsaking everything that would hold us back so that we can Go deeper and deeper with you and enjoy more and more and more of your wonderful, abundant life. Amen. Amen, amen. Give Jesus a big, big praise.